I don't have to give a lot of background to that statement. It's a truism. Uh, it's just true. Some clothes don't fit. I'm wearing a uh, sport coat that I got at Goodwill the other day. And, uh, you know, I don't know. I hate to say it. I shop at Goodwill. And it takes usually a few wearings to get the smell of Goodwill, you know, <laughs> out of your clothes. So this is just a faint smell of Goodwill at this point. And uh, it's a nice coat. It's a uh, Joseph A. Bank, you know. So it's a nice coat. I know, I'm telling you. It's nice. It's got a nice pattern to it, you know. It's nice. It's good. Fits. Fits in ways that some don't, you know. So it's good. So the first time I was wearing it, you know, I, I found myself tugging at the sleeves. I'm like, man, these sleeves just... And every time I would, you know, my arms, oh, man, oh, ah. So I guess in a real sense, it doesn't fit, you know? Like, it doesn't fit. I mean, it may fit, but it's like it doesn't fit. These sleeves are short. What a bummer, you know? I spent $8 on this thing, you know? <laughs> can't believe it. Man. Simeon, why don't you come up here just real quick? Um, I told Simeon I was going to ask him to help me do something. So uh, this coat, it does fit me, you know. Actually, it's kind of comfortable around this part of me. It's just this is uncomfortable. So then I thought, I wonder how this would fit Simeon. So why don't you take that coat off, and uh, let's put this one on. Simeon and I have a little different sleeve length. <laughs> now keep your arms down. Let's just see. I didn't do this ahead of time. I wasn't sure I was going to work. So, okay, a little long, not, not as, actually it's not as bad, the sleeves are not bad, from just, uh, you know, a little long, a little long. Um, why are you laughing? I think he looks good in blue, actually, you know. In a certain way, though, it's funny, it's like it doesn't fit me, but it doesn't fit him either. You know what I'm saying? Like, in what way does it not fit? The color's fine, you know. He looks good in Joseph A. Banks stuff. What's funny is that there's a part of this that, doesn't, that fits me fine. It's where the buttons connect. It fits me fine. But like he could wrap it twice around his body. You know? So like it doesn't fit. I mean, it fits in the sense it's, it's not too small, but it's also maybe the wrong size, right? A little bit? OK, I'll take it back. I'll give it to you for Christmas. So yeah, well. Yeah, it doesn't fit. A couple years ago, Megan uh, Weber, you might know Megan Weber, she went on a missions trip to uh, Cambodia. And she decided to bring something back for me. I appreciated that. She got me this nice Cambodian shirt, right? <laughs> I've actually never worn it. Um, inside, there's a label that says XL. And I hate to say it, most of my shirts say XL. So, extra large. Uh, you know, when I was your age, I wasn't an XL. But anyway, that's a different discussion. <laughs> so this XL is uh, from Cambodia. OK, well, all right, it's all good. If I can get it on. So I remember she brought it home. I'm like, oh, that's neat, Meg. I can wear it at the missions banquet. But <laughs> I'll be honest with you, 
Wow. <laughs> I hate to say it. I think Cambodian's extra large isn't the same as American extra large. <laughs> It just doesn't fit, right? No offense to me, obviously, right? Think of how much better we know each other now. This is embarrassing. You should see my wife. She's turning red. Of course, actually, now I've never been to Cambodia, so I'm not sure the whole nature of this shirt, I, I get the impression it is maybe toward like a formal shirt, you know, like what they would wear if they're dressing up. Um, traditional, looking. Cambodia, and you're wearing a shirt like this, this would be on a kind of a dress up day, more of a traditional sort of day. But you know, when I put it on, aside from the fact that it doesn't fit in certain ways that you just observed, um, it also doesn't fit. Like, if I was to walk through the hall wearing that, it wouldn't fit. You would say, wow, why is Pastor Schultz wearing that today? That seems kind of strange. Almost like a costume. Like, what's he dressed up for today? Because in a certain sense, it doesn't fit, right? If I wore this every day, you'd say, that's weird. If I was in Cambodia, maybe it would fit. But it doesn't fit. You know, it doesn't necessarily fit. Not here in America. All right, let's see. I found this this morning in the science lab. This lab coat fits a lot better than the other one does. In fact, if you look, if I was to button it all the way down, it fits. Well, the sleeves are like the uh, Goodwill coat, sort of. But So this one fits. Fits OK. And unfortunately, the tag inside says 2XL. but. Whatever. Whoever this 2XL person was had really short arms. But anyway, so this one fits, right? But then in a certain sense, this one doesn't fit either, right? Um, I don't think I'm scientifically dumb, but that's not my thing. You know, I'm not Mr. Scientist, you know, Mr. Lab Coat sort of guy. So if you saw me wearing this down the hall, you would think, that's funny. Why is he wearing that? That doesn't fit. You know what I'm saying? And you wouldn't necessarily mean that it doesn't fit right around my tummy, like the Cambodian shirt. You would say, that's funny, it doesn't fit. Because it doesn't, it doesn't align with what you understand I do. But there'd be some people that could wear this down the hall, like Dr. Um, Waller. And you'd say, oh, that fits. Because that's who he is. That's not who I am. So this doesn't really fit, right? OK, good. All right. What else we got in here? All right, man. OK. Let's see. Let's think about brand name clothing a little bit. Um, brand name clothing is typically brand name because the 
the clothing designer is trying to brand their clothing. And uh, often the branding is to show other people what brand you're wearing. And so sometimes there'll be a little symbol, you know, your shirt or your sweater will wear, I have, you know, it tells what brand it is. And it's kind of a status thing, you know. And a lot of times, um, this person wearing the brand name, it fits. You can tell. Like, it just, that's kind of who they are. They're that kind of a brand of person. You know, like a, a nice brand, like an expensive brand. You know, they're, whatever the symbol is, you know, that's an expensive outfit. And the person wearing it, it fits. You know, you may not, you may not know them, but it fits. This is no offense to anybody in here, but have you ever seen a homeless person wearing brand name clothing? Have you ever seen somebody kind of on the side of the road, you know, and they've got like some brand name jacket on or something? And you know what's weird about it? It doesn't fit. Like that's, and it doesn't make them look <laughs> wealthy, you know, where somebody that kind of wears it that way, you might say, wow, look at that person. They've got on such and such a brand. But then the person on the side of the road that has the same brand on and it doesn't fit. Do you follow my point? All right, let's find Genesis 27. Let me just point out a couple different uh, clothing stories here in the Bible. Genesis 27 and verse number 15. It says, Rebekah took goodly raiment of her eldest son Esau, which were with her in the house, and put them upon Jacob her younger son. And she put the skins of the kids of the goats upon his hands and upon the smooth of his neck. Okay, you understand the story. Do you know where we're at here in the scripture? This is where Jacob is going to trick his father, Esau, um, Isaac, right? And uh, Isaac had asked Esau to go and get him a meal so that they could have the blessing time. And Esau's away. Jacob is now getting outfitted by his mom to go and trick dad. Remember the story. Look further down here in verse uh, 27. So now we're, Jacob is interacting with his father, and uh, his father's a little doubtful about the whole situation. He said, it sounds like Jacob, but he's evaluating the thing, feels his skin, he feels hairy like his son Esau would. And so verse 27, now the blessing is coming to him. He says, and he came near Jacob to his father and kissed him. And he smelled the smell of his raiment and blessed him and said, see, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field which the Lord hath blessed. Okay, do you know in this story, that outfit fit Esau, but it didn't fit Jacob. Jacob was wearing it as a deceiver. It didn't really fit him. And in fact, it was the outfit, as well as the skin on his hand, that deceived dad. Dad smelled it and went, oh yeah, this is, this is Esau. It smells like he's been outside, doing manly things outside. Right, you don't have to turn to this one. Hang on to, to that passage. We're going to come back to Genesis. Remember in uh, 1 Samuel 17, uh, David comes upon a... A battle waiting to happen with Goliath and the Philistines and his brethren. And uh, they're all kind of, in a, kind of in a stalemate at the time. 
And uh, David says, there's a, there, there's, there's a cause, you know, let's make this thing happen. So he's brought to Saul. Do you remember this? He's brought to Saul. And Saul looks at him and says, what can you do? He says, I'll tell you what I can do. I've killed a lion. I've killed a bear. This Philistine's going to be just like one of those guys. And through really God's working, Saul believes him, which is really pretty remarkable in light of the fact that David was just a young fellow. And so Saul, verse 38, and you're not there, but I'll just read it. Verse 38, Saul armed David with his armor, and he put a helmet of brass upon his head, and he armed him with a coat of mail. So he puts on all of the uh, garb of a warrior, Saul's garb. And David girded his sword upon his armor, and he essayed to go, for he had not proved it. And David said unto Saul, I cannot go with thee, for I have not proved them. And David put him off. Ends up going to battle in his normal shepherd's clothing, whatever he would typically wear. Not really battle ready, but God clearly worked in that battle. You know the thing. Do you know what's interesting? Saul fit that armor. But you know as the story goes on in a certain way, doesn't David almost fit it better? In that who is the real warrior in this story? David is, right? Now he doesn't need the armor. He doesn't need the... The, the, the warrior garb, but actually David shows himself to almost fit better when the story's done. But I do want you to find Genesis 37, and this is where we're going to park here today. Genesis 37, and uh, verse number 3, it says, Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. And read the rest of verse 3. All right, this is the best I could come up with here. Here's a coat of many colors, all right? It's got many, three. <laughs> we didn't have a, a coat of many colors downstairs, so this is the best I could come up with, and it's more of a whatever. It doesn't fit either, but it's a whole. This harkens back to the Cambodia part of the story. All right, so here we go, all right? So Joseph had on a coat of many colors. And I want to talk a little bit about why the coat fit. Let's pray about it. Lord, I pray that you would bless here today as we focus a little bit on Genesis 37 and the story of Joseph and uh, his relationship to his father, his relationship to his brothers. And Lord, I pray that you would help us now as we think about these things and how this is, is going to apply to our lives. And so open your word to us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so in this story, there's a couple different factors. I want to talk about three factors with you about Joseph's life, and especially in light of the fact that some clothes don't fit. Do you know some clothes don't fit, but some clothes, some clothes do fit? And I want to submit to you that this coat doesn't fit me. This coat fit Joseph. So I want to first just notice some things about the coat. So we're in verse number three. We've already read it. It says, Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him. And they could not speak peaceably unto him. I think you all have read the Bible enough to know that that coat that Jacob wore was symbolic of position, status, in this case, uh, seems like maybe some favoritism, but it was a royal coat. He was wearing a coat that distinguished him. Do you follow that? It distinguished him. 
from the others, especially his brother. And so it says his father made him a coat, and his brethren hated him. Well, a couple thoughts about that coat. Um, Since the coat was because Joseph was the son of Jacob's old age. Look what it says there. It says he was the son of his old age. I don't know if you've ever done any uh, background looking into Jacob's life. Um, When Jacob fled and went up to Haran uh, to get a wife, he was actually in his upper 70s, if you do the math. So, you know, you kind of picture him as a guy that was like in his 30s or something, but he was an older man. He was already upper 70s. He was approaching 80 by the time he went to Haran. So he works for seven years. Remember the story? We talked about it last fall, actually. Remember we talked about this a little bit? Uh, he, uh, He ends up serving seven years in order to marry Rachel. And uh, then through the course of events, the first wedding wasn't Rachel, it was Leah. And uh, that surprised Jacob. You remember the story. It surprised him a little bit. So Jacob says to his father-in-law, this is what I was thinking. His father-in-law says, well, this is what I was thinking. Jacob's thinking, well, you should have probably told me what you're thinking. And he says, okay, fine. But I really, really, Rachel's the one I want. I'll serve seven more years. So then in short order, there's wedding number two. We talked about this already last fall. So uh, he ends up marrying these two ladies pretty much the same time. And, and uh, one of them begins having children. The other one doesn't. And so after seven years of being in Haran, he starts having children. And he's in his mid- lower to mid-80s when he's having his first children, Reuben and on. Uh, Then Joseph is finally born. Joseph is born at the end of that seven-year period right before Jacob serves those final six years in Laban's house and really gains his wealth. Remember that part of the story? So at the time that Joseph was born, Jacob would have been around 90. Okay, I, I don't know where you're at. Let me just tell you where I'm at. The difference between lower to mid-80s and 90, I would use the term old with both of those, okay? Like, I don't feel like lower 80s and then you transfer to 90 that now you're old. Like, 80s is old, you know? Um, So, in the story, he loved Joseph because he was the son of his old age. But weren't they kind of like all the sons of his old age? (laughs) Right? He was old. He was just an old man. Um, as of this chapter here in, in, uh, in Genesis 37, we are told that Joseph is how old? It says it right there. It says it in that chapter. It says he was 17, 17 years old. So Joseph was 17. That made his dad somewhere north of 100, 108 or so, 107. His dad was, I mean, if he was old before, now he's like old and old and old, right? So as far as Joseph having this position because, it says because his, he was the son of his old age, he, the guy was old. Like everything about him was old. All of his children were children of him in his oldness. I got to think about that word. Oldness. Okay, so I'm going to talk about old age in a minute. I just want to notice a couple of the details about the story. So verse 2, Joseph was 17 years old, feeding the flock with his brethren. The lad was with the sons of Bilhah, the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father, what? Their evil report. Now, if you read it in order, you read verse 2, it's kind of how the story starts. He's 17, he's out checking on his brothers. 
comes back, gives his father an evil report. Then look at verse 3. Verse 3 says, now Israel loved uh, Joseph more than his brethren. So it's like background information, okay? So it's not like this story is what made Jacob love Joseph more. Apparently, this was already an established thing. Like when Joseph came to check on his brothers in this story, 17 years old, he already had the coat. He was already in that position. Do you follow that? So what was it then? What was the evil report? He goes and checks and comes back, and he gives an evil report. It doesn't say what they did. It doesn't say what the evil report was, but he brought back to his dad a story that was grievous. Something they had done or were doing was grievous. It was an evil report. It wasn't a good report. He didn't come back and say, hey, Dad, you got to see how the boys are doing. They're doing great. He came back and said, Dad, you'll never believe it. It's bad news. Okay, well, what was the report? Well, it doesn't say. Um, was Joseph accurate in bringing that report? Apparently. Okay, so whatever he brought back, it doesn't seem like he fabricated it. Okay, the text gives no indication that way. So it's not like he came back and said, oh, hey, Dad, let me tell you something about how bad my brothers are. It doesn't seem like it. It seems like he came back and told his dad what really was going on. So he comes back and he gives an honest report. What was his motivation? It doesn't say. But I do think, in a sense, his motivation was simply just to relay something that was grievous. Hey, Dad, I was just with the boys, and i got to tell you something. There's no reason in the text to make you think that he came back and he just wanted to get them in trouble. Did they get in trouble from it? I don't know. Um, I'm sure his dad was grieved with whatever was told. But I want you to think this, that it wasn't like he was inaccurate, and I don't even think his motives were just to narc on them. He came back and told them the story. So when the brothers find out about this, they get mad or they're bothered that Joseph is telling on them. But let me ask you a question, college student. Was Joseph wrong to tell dad about his brothers wrong? Think about it. No, I don't think so. Because if dad knew that his brothers were doing wrong, dad would have wanted to know. And so the fact that Joseph told his dad his brothers were doing wrong didn't make Joseph wrong. It was because they were wrong. Um, have you ever heard this expression, don't shoot the messenger? You know, it's interesting, the brothers had these, these feelings about Jacob, about Joseph, because of things like this. Because Joseph was willing to tell dad what his brothers were doing, and it was wrong. And I don't, I don't read in that that Joseph was wrong to tell what was wrong. I think Joseph was right to tell what was wrong. And I think that's part of an indication of why his relationship with his dad is what it was. He was willing to say to dad, hey, dad, I've got to tell you something. You know, you shouldn't hesitate to tell someone who needs to know what they need to know if they need to know it. You know, you might come across something that's some information, even about somebody else, that somebody needs to know. You know, we're all responsible to tell those who need to know what they need to know. All of us are. If there's something in your life that somebody that loves you or is, is a leader in your life needs to know, you got to tell them. Don't hold back from somebody what they need to know what you know about you. But sometimes, you know, in the course of life, you might find out something about somebody that somebody else needs to know. And if you happen to go to that person who needs to know and tell them something they need to know about somebody else, does that make you wrong to tell them what they needed to know? 
Do you know how often it happens that when someone gets told on, they get mad at the messenger and fail to see that, but what if I was wrong? Okay, think about it in your life. Let's pretend that somebody you know finds out something about you that somebody else really needs to know. And for some reason in your life, you're hesitant to tell the person who should know. And that other person tells the one who needs to know something about you. How do you respond to that? Do you get mad at them? You should have never told them. That wasn't even right. That wasn't even fair. Okay, do we tend to do that? So I want to challenge you. If you know something somebody needs to know, you should tell them. Because the person that needs to know, needs to know. I don't think Jacob is Joseph. I don't think he was in the wrong because he brought the evil report, but certainly complicated the situation. Then it says in uh, verse 4, his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all of his brethren, and they hated him. All right, here's another question about this then. It does say that Jacob loved Joseph more. Um, and they hated him because they, his father loved uh, him more. So who was their hatred really toward? Really? Now, it was easier for them to hate Joseph because he was just their kid brother, you know. Uh, Joseph, whatever. But you know, the truth is it showed that they had a bigger problem with who? With dad, okay? With dad, and, and, and certainly by extension with, with the Lord. But they had a problem with dad. And so their hatred toward Joseph wasn't really about Joseph. It was about dad. Um, why did Jacob love Joseph more? Was it because uh, Jacob grew up in a home that apparently played favorites? Remember about the story of him and his brother Esau? Okay, maybe. Maybe that's part of it. Maybe Jacob was predisposed to favoritism because he grew up in a home like that. It's possible, actually. It's possible. Um, or was it because Joseph was the son of Rachel and Rachel was the one that he loved the more? All right, well, not to go back too far, but last fall, I tried to help you see that I think in the story that as things went on, Jacob's love for Rachel waned because he was enamored with her. And I think as the story went on, Jacob's appreciation for Leah increased. Okay, so I don't personally think that he loved Joseph more because he loved Rachel more. I don't think so. That's my opinion. I don't think so. Um, what was it about Joseph that Jacob loved more? And I want you to think about this. He was the son of his old age. Okay, we already mentioned, they were all children of his old age. So what was it? Uh, so um, uh, there was you know, about a seven-year difference between Reuben and uh, Joseph. And so even that, really, in, in comparison of the age of dad, they were all pretty much from the same era. They're all kind of about the same. You know, so Reuben, at this point in the story, is like 24, give or take. Joseph's 17. So there's, there's pretty much not much of a difference between their age. So what do we mean? Or what does it mean he was the son of his old age? I think it has to do with the idea of Jacob's maturity. And I want you to know something in verse 3. Uh, the story talks about Jacob. Jacob, 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 Jacob. What does verse 3 call this man in the story? Israel. The story is all about Jacob. It talks about Jacob. Jacob, 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 Jacob. In verse 3, it says Israel. So what is the big story in Jacob's life that comes before chapter 37? Well, there's lots of little things that are happening. There's years and years and years prior, you know, maybe 
I don't know, 10 years prior, 12 years prior, there's a pretty significant event that happens in Jacob's life at Peniel. Do you remember this story? Jacob's at Peniel, and he's getting ready to meet his brother Esau, uh, fearing for his life. He coordinates a plan, and then God meets with him. Jesus Christ himself meets with Jacob, and they have a wrestling match. You remember this story? So they're wrestling there that night, and uh, Jacob hangs on to God because he knows at this point in his life, if he doesn't have God, he's got nothing. And so he hangs on to God and says, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And it was not at that point because Jacob was being uh, greedy. It's that he knew he was in trouble. He says, no, I, I'm not going to let you go at this moment until you bless me. In verse 33, uh, verse 28 of chapter 33, you don't need to turn there. God turns to Jacob and says, Thy name shall call, be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and has prevailed. Okay, all right. I'm almost done with this first point. Think about what's happening in the life of Jacob and his children. Jacob is wrestling with God at Peniel when Joseph is around six. His brothers are in their tween years or their preteen years, and he's just, a, he's just a little pup. And here's my opinion, and I want you to think about this as we move forward. The difference between Joseph and Joseph's brothers is somewhere in the mix of what was happening in Jacob's life, God changed Jacob into Israel. And God was working out a work in Jacob's life that was pretty big. Name changes in the Bible don't just happen. Name changes in the Bible show nature changes. And Jacob changed. He was now Israel. He says, God says, your name will no more be called Jacob. You're now Joseph. And I think, uh, I'm sorry, uh, I'm sorry, Israel, Israel, sorry. Um, and I think Joseph, somewhere in his six-year-old heart, perceived that God was doing something in dad that was a big deal. And so here he is as a little boy, and he responds to dad as Israel. And apparently in the story, it seems like the other boys didn't. There's a lot of Jacob left in Israel. And frankly, the rest of the story is God working Jacob out of Israel so that Israel would dominate the story. And I think the brothers had trouble seeing Israel because they were hung up on Jacob. And I think the reason that Joseph got the coat wasn't because Jacob just like Joseph better because of Rachel or whatever. No, I think it's because Joseph showed dad, I am tracking with what God's doing in your life. Yeah. And so Jacob could trust him. Israel can trust him. All right, I'm going to talk a little bit more about this in just a minute. I want to talk secondly about his dreams. And we're going to actually go faster in the next two points. Let's talk about the dreams, okay? So in this chapter, we have this story about the code and his brothers don't like him. And he brought an evil report. Then look at verse 5. Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. And he said unto them, Here, I pray you, this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves stood round about and made obeisance to my sheaf. And his brethren said to him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us? Which proves they got it. They knew what the dream meant. Shall you indeed reign over us? Or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. And he dreamed yet another dream and told it his brethren and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more. 
Behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me, and he told it to his father and to his brethren. And his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come and bow down, uh, and bow down ourselves to thee to the earth? And his brothers envied him, but his father observed the saying. Now these dreams are important. Okay, let me ask you a question about the dreams. Whose idea was it to have these dreams? It's not like Joseph went to bed one night and said, I got a good idea. I'm going to have a prophetic dream. Make it happen. He, it happened. Who gave him the dreams? Right? God gave him the dream. Joseph didn't come up with the dream. God gave him the dream. These dreams are clearly prophetic because when Joseph communicated to his brethren, they got it right away. He said, what? Are you saying that we're going to bow down to you? They got it. So the dream was actually really clear. And Joseph didn't make it up. Has another dream. Sun, moon, stars bowing to him. And they all got it. This is dad, mom, and brothers. So these dreams were more than just an idea. It was divine revelation given to Joseph. And they all understood it. Remember later in his life, Joseph has interaction with other people's dreams, like Pharaoh. Remember, Pharaoh had a dream, and in fact, had a dream that appeared in two different forms, two different dreams. And in chapter 41, it says, And thus, it says, And for the dream was, therefore the dream was doubled unto Pharaoh twice. It is because the king, the thing is established by God, and God will shortly bring it to pass. So why did Joseph have two dreams? Because God wanted everybody to know this wasn't Joseph's idea. This was God. Uh, a couple weeks back, Pastor Van Gelderen quoted Charles Spurgeon. Never think for a moment that strong faith in the Lord is necessarily pride. It is reverse. It is one of the worst forms of pride to question the promise of God. God is to work in the divine realm. God is able to work in the divine realm to accomplish his purposes. So you read the story and it seems like Joseph was arrogant to tell his brother the story. Why do we think that? What in the story indicates that Joseph was arrogant to tell the dreams? God gave him a message. It wasn't arrogant to tell it. It was actually humble to tell it. It would have been wrong for him not to have told it. And yet somehow we read the story like, like Joseph was being cocky to tell the story. Joseph was being humble to tell the story. Joseph was literally sharing with his family the word of God. And there might be a time in your life when you endeavor to share the word of God with some of those that are closest to you and that you love and they might reject you in the sharing of it. And you might feel, they might even accuse you. Oh, who do you think you are? Holier than thou. Oh, you think you got it all figured out. Oh, now you've been to Bible college. You've got the whole thing figured out. And you might actually get rejected by your loved ones for sharing the word of God. Some of you might have already been rejected by your loved ones because you've shared the word of God. Should you not have shared it? Were you wrong to do that? The answer is obviously, well, well, no, of course you should have shared it. Could you have shared it differently? I don't know. I don't know your story. Could Joseph have shared it differently? I don't know. I wasn't there. Maybe. I don't know. But it wasn't wrong that he shared it. All that he did is communicated the word of God. And you know what his brothers hated about the dreams? Was that it was God revealing that this one that they hated was going to rule over them. So let me ask you a question. Who were they really hating when they hated Joseph's dreams? God. They were hating God in it. 
Who were they hating when their father gave the coat? Their father. So poor Joseph is in the middle of all this hatred. But I want to submit to you, Joseph, I don't think, I don't think he deserved any of it. Joseph is aligned with Israel. And so God could, uh, Israel could trust him. Joseph was given dreams, not by his choice, because God was entrusting him. So I'm almost done because we we're out of time. I want to talk lastly about the storyline. And I want you to look at verse number two. I skipped over it as we read this, but I want you to notice in verse number two, an interesting phrase. It says, these are the generations of Jacob. Joseph being 17 years old. What does the phrase, the generations of, mean? It's basically saying, here's now the story of. Here's the account of. And so Genesis 37 begins with this. This is the account of Jacob. And then it shifts into Joseph. Because the story in Genesis 37 to Genesis 50 is not the story of Joseph. It's the story of who? Jacob. In fact, it's the story of Israel. And there was a lot of things that were happening in the home that had to get fixed. Though the rest of Genesis seems to trace the story of the events of Joseph's life, it's in fact not their story. This is the story of Jacob and how God saved his family, not just from famine, but in fact from a greater problem, bitterness. And somewhere the brothers did not have the right relationship with their dad. And it was really probably because dad mismanaged the brothers. And somewhere in all of those days, God did a work in Jacob's life that changed his nature. He was no longer Jacob, now he's Israel. And the rest of the story is God using Joseph to bring in line the offspring of Jacob to recognize Israel. Thinking back in the story, why did God love Jacob and reject Esau? Because Esau rejected God and Jacob chose him. Jacob was uh, an interesting character, but somewhere in Jacob's heart, he recognized the eternal value of things, and God loves that about him. God didn't choose Jacob arbitrarily. He chose God because he understood what God was doing. God didn't reject Esau arbitrarily. Esau rejected God because he despised the plan of God through his life. And Jacob had a lot of problems. Like we mentioned a while back, marrying four ladies creates a lot of difficulty. He had a lot of problems in his life, and his boys responded to the old Jacob. But do you know God was doing something in Jacob's life far bigger than that? Do you know God had a plan for Jacob bigger than Jacob? Do you know God always had a plan for Jacob that was Israel? And it took years for Jacob to finally get to a place where God said, you're Israel. It's interesting in this story that Jacob is the stories about Jacob, but it begins to trace the life of Joseph. And I want to submit to you because Joseph was the one God used to work out the bigger plan in Jacob's life. Um, keep in mind that your story is not isolated to you either. Jacob's, Joseph's story was Jacob's bigger story. And God used Joseph to work out God's purpose in his own father's life. Okay, it's easy for us to think in terms of our life and the impact down. Those that we're trying to disciple, our own children, how our life is going to impact below us. But I want to leave you with this thought. Do you know your life actually has impact two ways? Maybe three. Your life will have impact down. All of you need to embrace the fact that from your life and down, God wants to create a legacy. But I think God wants to not just create a legacy. God wants to give you a legacy. 
that you can pass on. And your life needs to impact not just those below you, but the generation above you and those alongside of you. In Joseph's life, somewhere, and do you think Joseph knew that dad had wrinkles? Yes, no doubt about it. But Joseph chose to see what God was doing through Jacob bigger than what he saw dad doing in his weakness. Where Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, all of them, they held Jacob over dad. And Joseph said, I'm seeing Israel in dad. And I don't know your home in particular. Some of you, some of your homes I know better than others. But I'm pretty sure all of you have other family relationships that God's working a big work in. And the real challenge in your life today is to embrace what God's doing above. Do you know, I bet in some of your homes, I'm sure in some of your homes, there's a lot of Jacob still in mom and dad. But then I'm also assuming that the fact God's worked in your life to bring you to Baptist College of Ministry, because somewhere, not in your life necessarily, in their life, there's an Israel happening. And you know, you have the opportunity to come alongside God in the Israel work of your folks and praise the Israel and forgive the Jacob. Do you know, your parents probably have a lot of Jacob in them still. I do. Do you know, I, if my kids held Jacob over me, it's going to hurt them, and it's, I'm not trying to point at you. It would hurt them, and it would hurt me. But you know, if my kids are willing to embrace the fact that in, in my life, there are some Israel moments, and they recognize the Israel reality of who I am, and embrace that, it's going to bless them, and bless me. Uh, many years ago, mid-1800s, my uh, great, 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 great grandfather, Grandpa Hjort, was a pastor, a Baptist pastor in Ludvika, Sweden. And uh, God worked in his life. He ended up being the pastor of this little church in Ludvika because he was the only one that could read. So there you go. It passed down to me. I can read too. Uh, <laughs> Grandpa Hjort, we don't know a lot about him. He was the first Baptist pastor in Ludvika, Sweden. And uh, lots of, you know, from his life and then down and so on to my grandma Carrie, some of that was lost. Uh, grandma Carrie was saved. Uh, her and, and uh, Grandpa Ed, they were in the Salvation Army. Uh, they were Christians, kind of the Salvation Army street preaching kind of Christians, you know. Um, but uh, their children ended up Lutheran. And my dad was born in a Lutheran home. And if it wasn't for really my mother's witness to him through the youth group, uh, my dad would have been Lutheran. But uh, God used my mom and the youth group, and my dad trusted Christ. Well, I found out years later, Grandma Carrie, who is my dad's grandmother, my great-grandmother, prayed that my dad would be a pastor. My dad's not a pastor. My dad sold insurance, did a number of different things through his life. But I am. Why am I a pastor? Because my story is actually a part of a bigger story. It could, it's easy for me to view my story as the beginning. My story is only the part of a bigger story that goes back to Grandpa Hjort, Grandma Grandpa Ed Carlson, and, and Carrie, uh, Carrie Carlson. It's bigger than that. I remember telling Judson years ago, because my dad's dad is not yet saved. I remember telling Judson years ago, I said, we need to pray that Grandpa gets saved, even if it's just before he dies. Because somewhere a blessing will flow to our generation to see him trust Christ. Now, I want to see him trust Christ because I love him. That's my motivation. But I believe 
that if I can recognize my connection to a story bigger than me, then I will actually not just give a legacy, I can ensure a legacy. And I'm telling you folks, do you know right now, you're in college, you're getting trained, you're getting all this stuff, and if you think the legacy begins with you, you're actually cutting off the greater blessing of receiving a legacy. And then you think, oh, my parents can't give me a legacy. My parents are, okay, listen, God's working in your parents' lives, even if your parents aren't saved. And the greatest thing you could do for your legacy is to ensure the legacy they would give you. And I want to challenge you that in your life, it might be about you right now, but your story is actually more about your parents than it is about you. And it's about their parents and their parents. You're just in a line of a story. So one last thought, and I'm done because I'm over time. Let me say the last thing. Jacob, Joseph, was integral to seeing his brethren also get the legacy. These guys were a basket case. And the whole thing could have absolutely self-destructed if Joseph didn't get a bigger vision for what God was doing than his own circumstances. Think about his own circumstances. But he loved his dad, loved his brethren enough to intervene at the key moment. You might have a sibling that is wayward. Honestly, you might. There's probably a number of you in here that have a sibling that's wayward. Can I challenge you with something? Your parents feel the weight of that more than you could ever understand. And it's possible that God actually wants to use you to make a difference in their life. Because maybe in a certain way, because of their relationship with mom and dad, mom and dad are a little stuck to do it. And you might be the very way that God wants to intervene in your sibling's life. Because God means to win with the whole family. All right? So let's embrace the Israel in our parents' lives. Don't hold Jacob over him. Have your parents hurt you as Jacob? Probably. Probably all of us have. My kids have been hurt by this old Jacob right here. No doubt about it. But you know, let's leave the Jacob aside under the blood of Jesus Christ and let's embrace the Israel and the family God's given to us. Win with our siblings. Recognize the Israel. It's all about God and ensure a legacy right down through.